What's going on family? Let's talk about something that's been buzzing in the tech world, AI safety and security. How do you feel about the rapid advancements in AI and the potential risk that it brings? Have you heard of the stories about AI being tricked? It's a real concern, but fear not because there's a real solution, AI Red Teaming. You see, AI Red Teaming is all about stress testing. You see, AI models and deployments to prevent unauthorized access and data leaks. It's about ensuring that your AI can't be tricked into providing information beyond its intended use. And guess what? You don't have to do it alone. My friends over at HackerOne has a community of over 750 active hackers specializing in AI security testing. You see, in a recent engagement, just 18 hackers identified over 100 valid findings in just two weeks. That's the power of ethical hackers. Wow. So if you want to ensure the safety and security of your AI deployments, look no further. Head over to HackerOne.com and explore their AI red teaming services. With strategic flexibility, rapid deployment, and a hybrid talent strategy, HackerOne has everyone, everything you need to safeguard your AI. Don't let AI keep you up at night. Visit HackerOne.com today and rest easy knowing that your AI is in safe hands. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich, but you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Many organizations will say, we just want to hire not only the best. What they're also saying is, we want to hire um, who, whoever's the right fit. That's it. I've heard that too. But this is the distinction, Anthony. There's a difference between cultural fit yeah, and yeah. cultural contribution. So the person who is, who you're saying is a fit, is the person who looks like, acts like, talks like, comes from the, graduate from the same school, grew up in the same kind of neighborhood. <laughs> That's what you're saying. When, That's who the fits culture here. fit. What's Yo, so I'm really excited about today's show because today's show is going to be a little different. Actually, it's not going to be different, but it is going to be different. <laughs> you know, um, man, y'all know me. Every time I meet a, a strong uh, and brilliant and successful uh, woman, whether she's black or white, um, I try to get them onto the show because I, I, I see a different generation of ladies on the rise. They are literally creating and building Fortune 500 companies. They are creating and generating wealth without a man in their life. They are uh, impacting culture, impacting society. Uh, one of the leading voices when it comes to black um, 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 representation and um, black activism is Tamika Mallory and what she's doing for the black people and how she's impacted culture. Um, and recently, about, I don't say recently, about two, three years ago, I had the opportunity to be on this podcast. And uh, when I was on a podcast, 
I was just amazed by her, her wisdom, by her words um, of, of knowledge and how she really cares about the black community. And I was like, yo, listen, we got to get you on my show. Well, I went through a huge transition and um, her schedule wasn't lined up with my schedule. And then we ran into each other um, in Charlotte at Bishop Jake's event. And I was like, yo, I got to get you on my show. And so she's like, yo, I'm celebrating a birthday. I'll definitely let you know when I'm in the city. So she texted me about two weeks ago. I'm going to be in the city. I'm coming to the show. I said, bet. Um, and this young lady goes by the name of Dr. Slash Professor Slash Miss Ariel Ellis. And she is in the building today. One of the most profound black queens who I know. And she's building wealth by helping and impacting people, especially black people, and even watch this, white people relate better to black people, and then black people better understand white people, and then also she has another ministry on the side that she's really helping millennials just really expand their brands and expand their minds uh, to go after excellence because she is a woman of excellence. So I'm excited to have her at the show. And before we get to uh, my dear friend, Dr. Ariel, um, I want to remind you, number one, is to hit that subscribe button, you guys. We are about to hit 500,000 subscribers. This is crazy. This is insane. Um, so I want to say thank you for being part of the family. But if you're not a part of the family, yo, I think I look halfway good. You know what I'm saying? I smell good today for sure. Uh, so I would love for you to stop dating me and let's marry each other. You know, let's get into a relationship. Let me help you reach your goals and together, we help more people to reach their goals by building. I mean, and two, I want to thank one of our sponsors today. Um, uh, one of my sponsors is Church and Mortgage. Uh, when I think about in today's today's day and time, everyone is really wanting to build wealth. And one of the key ingredients to building wealth is becoming a homeowner. And my friends over at Churchill have partnered with me to help you get into a home, help you become a homeowner. Even with the high interest rate, they're giving you the lowest interest rate possible today. They're going to get behind you when it comes to your earnest money, give you an extra $5,000 to put down towards your earnest money because they believe that once they give you their guaranteed uh, pre-approval, which is really a certified approval that they believe like once they give you that letter, they're willing to put the money on and say, listen, we stand behind it. And for whatever reason, if we have to back out for any financial reason, the seller uh, would be able to keep that $5,000 because they believe in what they do. They specialize in under, um, manual underwriting, and they also specialize in people who don't have any credit to little of no credit. And if you got good credit, you're in a good place. So go check out my friends over there at uh, anthonyoneal.com forward slash Churchill. They'll get you into your dream home today. Your dream home could be a condo. Your dream home could be a starter family home or your dream home could be a 10,000 square foot home. It doesn't matter. No matter what it is, my friends over at Churchill Mortgage can help you out. Go check them out today. anthonyoneal.com forward slash Churchill. Um, you know, in today's day and time, we're seeing a new normal, right? We're, we're seeing uh, companies having to pivot uh, because of the, the height of racial issues rising. You know, two, three years ago, especially right around, right in the beginning of COVID, uh, right around the George Floyd time, we saw companies come out and really get behind black people. And I literally said, where were y'all at five years ago? You know, um, and and while late is better than never, um, I still was questioning, do majority white companies truly love and genuinely care 
about black people. And this was a conversation that I really wasn't qualified to have by myself because I would have went by opinion. And so one of the experts leading voices in this space um, is here with me at the table today because this is what she does. She goes into companies and she helps them understand us and she lets them know, like, yo, do you really care or do you not really care? Because we receive you this way. And so we're going to have a real conversation today. And it may be uncomfortable for some of my other people, but I love you. And she loves you, too. Y'all help me welcome to the table for the first time, definitely not the last time, my good friend, Dr. Ariel. What's up, girl? Hey. Yo, I'm man. I'm excited to be here. Listen, you told me your age this don't, morning. Yeah. I'm not going to say it. Okay. <laughs> I don't mind. No, we ain't going to say it. We ain't going to say it. I ain't going to put you out there like that because I don't want to be disrespectful. Yeah. But I did not know. Yeah. I mean, what is up with black, black ladies? You got to take care of yourself. Water. Do you only drink water? Shea butter. Shea, oh, you gave me some Sleep. today. I did. You gave me some shea butter. So I'm about to get a little Sleep, bit younger. Sleep, self-care, no, Sleep, low stress, self. low to no stress. Low to no stress. Prayer, meditation. I don't see no wrinkling, so that means you're single. So that's, that's why you don't have a lot of stress. Ah. <laughs> there we go. I'm just playing. You're, not, you're supposed to be like, no, that's not why. Let me say man-ass stress to you. What's the world? I can't believe she said, oh, you, you might be right. Ariel, so let's let, let, let's let's dive into yeah. it. Um, you know, two years ago, three years ago, is it three? No, two years ago, 2020. Yes. yes. You know, the world shifted. Yes. Let, let's be real. The world shifted, and we got hit with COVID. Mm-hmm. In the midst of COVID, George Floyd happened. George Floyd was not the first major incident when it, when it came to African-American black people. But in the midst of COVID, George Floyd and some other racist stuff started happening. And we started seeing a lot of major companies starting to show and express genuine concern for black people. What in that season of of, of our lives, right? Um, that's right around the time I met you. What mm-hmm. what what were how were you contributing? to that environment and how are you helping that environment? Sure. You know, pre-COVID, a lot of organizations were having these conversations about diversity, equity, and inclusion, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. They were launching various initiatives, try to recruit and retain and advance more people of color, um, how to engage with their consumer more effectively. But we saw them do these little, you know, mess-ups and have these mistakes. Like mm-hmm. instances like uh, the Ky- Kylie Jenner, is it Kendall or Kylie? Ky- Jenner commercial yeah. with Pepsi and, mm. like, the Dove ad with the black woman yeah. and the white women and the skin. So we've seen, and uh, HM with the black yep. boy with the monkey on the shirt. Yep. So we saw these things that were a little racially insensitive, if you will, yeah, yeah. and culturally tone deaf. Yeah, yeah. So that was a, a lot of that was happening leading up to COVID. But in the midst of all of that, we had Trayvon Martin, we had Philando Castile, mm-hmm. we had a Tatiana Jefferson, and all those Ooh. things were happening, right? Yeah. But it wasn't until we were forced to sit in our homes and watch TV mm. and see the murder of George Floyd happen, right. that companies actually got loud yeah. about their intentions yeah. to diversify internally and to be more effective in the communication with their consumers externally. Yeah, yeah. Right? 
Now, something's interesting, something interesting about that, I go into a lot of organizations that help them adjust to and prepare for this new norm that we're in. Okay. But it always requires me to give them a little bit of a wake-up call before I do so. Mm-hmm. And right before George Floyd got murdered, and um, we were in the very beginning of COVID. Nobody knew what was going on. Everybody was shocked and afraid and nervous. There was a study that was done by the Institute for Public Relations, and the majority of the folks who responded to that were top communication leaders, chief communication officers inside of the organization. And um, in a in the study, they were looking to determine how are these organizations responding to COVID, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. And in the the section that specifically asked about diversity and inclusion, very few of those respondents said that they were prioritizing diversity and inclusion. Mm. Then two, three months later, we see the George Floyd murder, and everybody wants to say something. About everybody. It. Right, diversity, equity, and inclusion. So what it means is you have an opportunity, or people like me, consultants who go in and help these organizations solve problems, you have you have an opportunity to go in and figure out where are the gaps, mm. right? Where are the breaches? Mm. Are we intentional about doing this work? If we've been intentional, we have not been speaking out about it. We need to be a little bit louder about proclaiming yeah. that we want to recruit, retain, and advance people of color, and we also want to have better relationships with our consumers who may be multicultural or identify as people of color. Mm-hmm. But if you're not speaking that, then how will an organization know? Ooh. Right. So you have to be able to have those initiatives and programs, right. but also you have to be able to ensure that it's embedded in your organizational culture. And that's what we saw, that a lot of companies, at, when George Floyd was murdered, a lot of organizations were making these statements and sending out these tweets and blacking out their, you know, photos on social media, like their profile photos and things of that nature. When in reality, their employees would speak back out and say, no, that's not who you are. Mm. You don't care about us like that. Mm. Right. Or that's not true. Mm. What initiatives, what programs, how do you care? Because you don't treat us right inside of the organization. Right. So they're being exposed. <laughs> right. So it means that you have an opportunity to go into these organizations and dig deep to see what needs to be changed, what needs to be shifted, and how can you propel them to a level of success so that people feel seen, valued, and heard. This is going to be a good conversation. That's all I would say. I'm sitting here like, man. Okay, let's 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 rewind. Okay, let, let let's rewind diversity. Equity, inclusion. Yeah. Why do why should the average person watching right now really understand that statement within itself? That phrase, if you will, or acronym. Acronym, yeah. Right. Mm-hmm. D and I, it's taken a lot of dips and twists and turns, right? right? So in the last, I would say twenty years or so, we see the DEI acronym being adopted. Previously it was just D D and I or diversity and inclusion. Yep, yep. Now in the last two years, we've seen a a variation of that acronym where organizations are adding B. For belonging, they're uh-huh. adding the the letter A for access or accessibility. Some who are very community minded are adding J for justice or social justice. Yeah, right. Yeah, yeah. So organizations based on their culture mm-hmm. are creating acronyms that fit the work that they do yeah. and what they want to aspire to be. Yeah. But the reason why anyone should care about diversity, equity, inclusion is because you have a human identity. And as you go into these organizations, organizations are made of people and people are human. 
So a lot of times we say those white companies or those white organizations, we're essentially talking about human beings. Those organizations don't necessarily have a color. They just happen to be majority owned or majority led by someone who is white or a group of people who are white. Um, and they may not have anyone who's a person of color sitting at the top, right, at the table from a C-suite level to really be able to inform and add, you know, cultural insights to what needs to be said or done. So the reason why DEI is so important is because as you choose a job, as you choose a profession, as you choose a company, you need to be able to know, are there people there who look like you? Are there people there who look like you who are being treated fairly and equitably? And are those treat people who are there, are they being not only treated uh, and seen and, and valued equitably, are they being paid equitably, right? So that's important. Yo, so how? Okay, let's talk about that. Those three things. We're walking into a job. Mm-hmm. We're about to go into a job interview. We, I am a minority, and I'm walking into a majority white company. Right. How do I? How do I look for those things? Should I ask that in my you interview? Should ask that in your interview. So how do I ask that without coming off? Watch this. Let's be real, Dr. A. <laughs> you, you, you go if you go in there, and one of your questions are how are black people being treated? Could that send a red flag to that white person? Yes and no. I, I I come from the PR world, so let's finesse that question a little bit. I like it. Let's talk, yeah. let's do it. Uh, my recommendation is that as you're looking at the company, you have to have a set of values going in. Yes. Right. Yes. To the interview process, to the application process, what kind of organization do you want to work for? If it's just about a paycheck and you don't care about the culture, so be it. Okay. But if you care about your own. Uh, the, the culture that you're going to for your own mental health, for yeah. your own safety, right? Yeah. And things of that nature. You want to be able to thrive inside of an organization. You need to be upfront and asking certain questions in the interview process. Okay. And so as you're going through that, it's ideal to research the company, identify if they have any visible diversity and inclusion initiatives. That's good. Either on their website, on their social, look at their LinkedIn, go through their LinkedIn post, right? Look to see what organ what um what employees that who they've hired, you know, do they have, you know, black and brown folks at their organization? And do they have VP and above titles, right? Ooh, but what if they don't have any 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 people of color? Mm-hmm. On their their VP, executives, board, sure situation. Sure. Is that is that an alarm? It's not necessarily an, al- an alarm because like companies like Apple, somebody just posted on LinkedIn. I live on LinkedIn, uh-huh. so a comp- someone just posted on LinkedIn a snapshot of the the top you know C suite at Apple, right? I mean, who doesn't love Apple, right? right. I love so, Apple. So yeah, so I think there was one. A uh, person of color, he may identify Southeast Asian, if I'm not mistaken. I don't want to uh, mis- misidentify him. Yeah, yeah. But there was no one that was visibly, right, identified right. as a person of color. Right. So, you know, someone was trying to flag it. And there were several people who commented about that. Mm-hmm. So it's not necessarily a red flag if you don't see anybody of color at the top. Right. What you're looking for is proof of intent. Mm-hmm. Right. Mm-hmm. So the proof of intent means 
Has this organization been intentional about creating any type of programs, initiatives, plans around diversity, equity, inclusion? There will be some sign of that online, okay. right? Yeah, yeah. And if there isn't any sign of that online, once you, if you get an interview, once you get into that interview, you got to be on with questions because you didn't say anything on the website. Yeah, yeah. You didn't say anything on their LinkedIn page, yeah. right? You haven't been able to find, you know, any evidences of them having anyone of color sitting in the C-suite or even at the second tier level. So when you get into that interview, that's your cue to ask and say, so I I did some research and I'm really interested in being in an organization that has a culture centered around diversity. And I did some research and I didn't find a lot of evidence or any initiatives that you all have put together or led in the the past. Can you share with me uh, anything that you've done related to diversity, equity, inclusion and how it's how it's propelled the company forward, how it's moved the company forward. You ask those questions. They always ask you in an interview, do you have any questions for us? Right? If you're a person of color, a woman, a person who carries a disability, if you're LGBTQ, right? If you have, uh, if you, even if you uh, have, like say if you're Muslim, wow. right? And you want to go into a workplace that respects your 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 uh, religious practices, right? Ask those questions, right? It's, if they ask you, which they always do, mm-hmm. do you have any questions for us? They always do. That's always your question. Do. That's your cue. And I love how you how you led with, I was doing some research. Yes. So it does. It should disarm them. Yes. Because it's like, yo, I was I was on a website, mm-hmm. and you're gonna have more questions outside of racist stuff. Absolutely. I mean, outside of racial stuff. But it's like you was on a website, you was doing some research, you were looking for several things, and you didn't see this. Yeah. And so I wanted I want to know, do you have that? Yeah. If the answer is no, yeah. we never have. Is that is is that a red flag or is that a is that something you are willing to have or looking to have in the near future? Yeah, I think that based on the response, if mm-hmm. the answer is no, mm-hmm. however, mm-hmm. right, that can be a yellow flag. Okay, it's not a red. Flag. Okay, it's and it's not a green flag. Neither. It's not a green flag. It it is a oh, pump the brakes. Okay, pause. Let's assess. Oh. How is this company and or this job opportunity? How how much how important would it be to my life and my lifestyle? Because people are in these organizations, Anthony, and they are hurting. Yeah, they're going to work every day, stressed. They are struggling to get out of the car and walk in from the parking garage. Yeah, because they feel they may be the only one. Yeah, they feel disrespected. They feel unseen. And many times, it's not something that the organization is doing to them. They're just not intentionally including them. Mm. Right. So they're doing the work every day, but they don't feel seen, valued, and heard, and respected inside the organization while they see maybe their white counterparts getting promotions and raises, and then somehow you'll find out that somebody who is not the same race as you, doing the same job as you, doesn't have as much experience as you, but getting paid more than you, Mm. right? So you find out those kind of things. Or you're faced with microaggressions. Can I touch your hair? And you're 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 pretty for a black woman. Or um, I'm sh- you're so articulate. And you know things. That, you're tall. Do you play basketball? You know all those kinds of things. And and th- that just that's just really scratching the surface. There's so many things that black and brown folks are hurting mm-hmm. as a result of based on these organizational cultures that are not primed for diversity, equity, and inclusion. They have not done the work. So let's go to the company side because you actually go into these companies. Yeah. 
um, and you actually go and you give them some advice, some real raw advice mm-hmm. <laughs> on what to do. I want to ask you this question if you're comfortable answering it. Do you think majority of of majority of companies that are majority white do genuinely care about black people? Have you been in a company you felt like, uh, they really didn't care? Or have you been in companies? Well, they do care, but they didn't know how yeah. to how to do it, how Great to show question. it. I see a little bit of everything. Okay. I can share some examples from some of the client work that I've done. Okay. And I won't call any Don't don't yeah, yeah, we don't want to do that. We don't want to do that. But um I respect you. Yeah, thank you. And them, honestly. Yeah. Yeah. And and some I don't mind saying their names. <laughs> but because um, they've done good. They've right, right. Really okay. done a good job. There we go. Um, uh, but some organizations don't care. Mm. And when I discover that they don't care, mm-hmm. it's a wrap. Okay. Okay. Because many times they know they need the help, and you find out they don't care once you're in the engagement. Mm. Many times I can detect very clearly that an organization is not serious about this. Mm-hmm. They they say they want to do the work because it's a good look. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. now it's politically correct to mm-hmm. do this work, mm-hmm. right? Um, so generally... I will say no. I've I've probably said no. No, I, we, my team, we've probably said no to more organizations than we've said yes to. Wow. Simply because we've detected that somehow, some way, this is not going to go well. Once we get into the engagement, we will realize these people are not serious, and we're not going to be able to move the needle with them. They're not going to be a great partner for us. Mm-hmm. So. That's and that's a that's a lesson for any business owner, mm-hmm, right? You don't have mm-hmm. to do business with everybody that comes to you. Mm-hmm. You can say no, mm-hmm, right? Mm-hmm. So, uh, once you get into the engagement, and once we get into the engagement, we'll have a better idea of how serious an organization is by a couple ways. Um, one is if their senior leaders are really engaged and involved from the very beginning. So their CEO, CFO, CHRO, right? Their chief people officer, all the chiefs. If all the chiefs are at the table. They're ready, mm-hmm. even if they seem a little reluctant yeah. and a little uncertain, because people at that level yeah. who are uh, high level leaders, they are problem solvers. They're decision makers. They don't like to be in a seat of not knowing. Mm. Right. They're very uncomfortable with that. So if they're at the table and they're getting vulnerable and transparent, it's a it's a go. It's mm. a green light. Another green light is how much are you uh, attributing or accounting for? financially for this commitment, right? Like how much do you, are, are you putting in a budget, right? Do you have a budget for DNI, right? Do you um, have a budget specifically for yeah. uh, minority people of color initiatives? Yes. Wow. Have you set aside money to accomplish anything related to DNI, whether it is bring in my company, uh-huh. right? And compensate us or, and cause you need to do both. Okay. <laughs> um, have you set aside the financial resources to be able to invest in programs and initiatives, training, professional development, right? So you say you want to do this DEI initiative, but when it comes to what's your budget, oh, we only have $5,000. That's not going to work. It's mm. not going to work. $5,000 to get you a, 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 a workshop and a couple box lunches. Right, right, right. right? That's not going to get you where you need to go. And then also um, how you know a company is really serious is if they've done a little bit themselves already. 
right? They mm-hmm. tried, mm-hmm. and they know they can't quite do it by themselves. Mm-hmm. Um, sometimes this, these organizations will have a per, generally a person of color in a diversity role, like a chief diversity officer or VP or SVP of diversity inclusion, something like that, right? Yeah. And this person is maybe phenomenal, but they're like maxed out. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They're tired. Yeah. They're trying to pull it all by yeah. themselves. Sometimes they'll have a team and they'll need some some help along the way. So those are some things that I think uh you you can look for, identify for organizations really serious about doing the work. They've got their C-suite involved, they're at the table, they're engaged, they're ready to go, even if they're a little nervous. Mm-hmm. Um they've got a budget for it. Mm-hmm. They've done a little bit themselves mm-hmm. and they need some help. And they probably have someone in-house who's tasked and hired to do the work of DEI. Mm. And that person or that team is needing some additional support and momentum. You know, when when I hear you, I, I, I don't want to say the name of the team and the person because I want to be respectful, but... Uh, I have a good friend. Um, she works for a particular NFL team, mm-hmm. and her job is exactly that. Yeah, she she oversees all the minority black people of color initiatives for this particular team. And I mean, I have to say that when she entered into that role up until today, I definitely see and feel a difference from that particular team mm-hmm. when it comes to people of color. Yeah. And I see more people of color actually engaging with that team, supporting that team. I even went to a couple of the games. And I was like, wow, like I really feel like, like, like I'm welcomed. Yeah. But then I can tell one of the things that I hear from a lot of white companies is we shouldn't have to specifically do something for black people. We shouldn't have to be um, uh, intentional about hiring black people. We should hire the best person, Mm -hmm. whether they're black or white. Mm -hmm. When you hear a statement like that and your professional expertise, how should we feel about that? Is that like a, okay, I understand, or is that like a, uh, yeah, and my my question to that is, or my answer to that is a question. Oh. Why would we consider that the best wouldn't be black? Cato. <laughs> so if we say we only want to hire the best, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. what constitutes best? Because what we're really saying is we have this pathology mm. that white is right. Mm. And if we hire a black person, we might not be getting the right person, right? Mm. We may not be getting the best. Mm. So that's coming from a place Mm. that's not really authentic, Mm. right? That's coming from a place that's muddled Mm -hmm. with a lot of racial, Mm -hmm. you know, connotation attached to it. Mm -hmm. A lot of that also is tied to this. Many organizations will say, we just want to hire not only the best. What they're also saying is, we want to hire... Um, who whoever's the right fit. That's it. I've heard that too. But this is the distinction, Anthony. There's a difference between cultural fit yeah, and yeah. cultural contribution. So the person who is who you're saying is a fit is the person who looks like, acts like, talks like, 
comes from the graduate from the same school, grew up in the same kind of neighborhood. That's what you're saying. With That's who the fits culture here. fit. Yeah. Who, who fits here? Meaning, who can go golfing with us? Oh. Who can smoke cigars with us at the end of the day? Oh wait a minute, I do both of them. I know that's fine, <laughs> and that's fine. But generally, you don't see a lot of us doing doing that. golfing and smoking cigars, especially if we're not at the leadership level. I've done that with clients, but that's because I'm sitting in the space with them. Yeah, yeah. But, bruh, over in, you know, IT, who's making $55,000 a year, he's not going to have that experience. No, that's real. Right? That's real. So when we say, when these organizations say cultural fit, Mm -hmm. what they're saying is, okay, Ivy League, white, male, this, Mm -hmm. that, right? Who fits in the culture as it is right now? Mm -hmm. But when we say cultural contribution... What we're saying is, who can come into this space mm. and make it better? Mm. Who can mm. actually bring all of their cultural mm. insights, mm. whether they're white, black, brown, whatever. Right, right, right. Who can come into this space with all of their cultural insights, their identity, bring their insights as it relates to the race, age, gender, if they're a veteran, mm-hmm. if they have a disability, whatever that is. Mm-hmm. Um, if they, Even if they didn't go to college, right? Because mm-hmm. you, you have insights from, from that experience, yep, right? Yep, that yep. track of life. Um, who can come in and make a contribution and make our team better? And not just this is what we want for the company, but you also have to look at What's the culture of the teams inside of your organization? Because a lot of times we're working for a great company, but your boss is a jerk. And you, your team has a bad culture or your department is known for being trifling across the company mm-hmm. or whatever that is. Whatever and that is. that's making your experience bad, right? So sometimes your company has these great diversity initiatives right. and is doing phenomenal things. You like the pay and all that. But sometimes it's the in, that internal nucleus that's like that team or that individual or that boss or whatever whoever that you're working with that makes the experience so terrible so really what we should be saying is instead of who is going to fit we should be saying who is going to make a contribution you know you're you're dropping so much here and you're helping so many people and i'm and i'm sitting here laughing because my um uh, my content uh creator um, creative director mm-hmm. um, is sitting back there just shaking his head. <laughs> yeah, I'm sitting there laughing because he just over there, oh, she preaches. He, yep, yep, yep. And I'm like, yeah, she already talked. I, I want to help those people, then I want to pivot after this. Sure. I, I want to help the people who are currently, they're watching this show. Mm-hmm. And a lot of them are watching their show right now, AirPods in their ear, headphones on their head, at their job. Yeah. And they're probably sitting right there saying, no, this woman is teaching good. But they're also saying, but I I don't feel heard or yeah. I don't feel respected yeah. or I don't feel valued. I, I work at a great company. I love this particular career field, but I don't feel like my company values minority people. I'm just another just another person working. What should they be doing? What? How should they be thinking? What should they be processing if they're in that current state right now? Yeah, that's a good question. Um, I would, I would. So, a couple of things I want to say about that. Uh, there are reasons why we take jobs, mm-hmm. and those motivating factors sometimes, for some people of color, black folks, um, may not 
be as important when it comes to how I fit into this culture inside the organization. Sometimes folks just want to collect their paycheck and do their job and they're good. And go home. Yeah, they yeah. want the benefits, that's it. Yeah. But then there's a segment of us mm -hmm. that do value being seen and heard and understood and just flat out respected. Yeah. Right? Yeah, yeah. They want to know that they're valued inside the organization. I'm not going to tell anybody to quit their job. Right. But I'm going to give four things that I think you should be looking for. And if you so choose to look for another department, another company, another even career, keep these four things in mind. Mm -hmm. First, psychological safety. Mm. Do I feel safe to show up as I am, mm -hmm. right? Or am I code switching every time I come into the job, right? Mm -hmm. Code switching can be a safety mechanism. Mm -hmm. Totally understand that. But do I have a sense or do I feel a sense of psychological safety inside of this organization and the work that I do? This is really an assessment. Assess this. This is what you do, mm -hmm. right? This, assess this in yourself. One, psychological safety. Two, open-mindedness. As I come into this space, as I interact with the people in this space, am I met with open-mindedness when I share my ideas, you know, when I share my feelings, when I share my concerns, you know, uh, about diversity or the lack thereof? Am I met with open-mindedness and the people that can be, that are decision-makers who go forth and make, you know, the decisions on what to do, are they listening to me, right, mm -hmm. and actually deciding what to do with what I said? Yeah, yeah. The third one goes right into that good segue, active listening. Mm. When we talk about active listening, many times when we're listening to someone, we're just hearing what they say mm. because we're getting ready to respond mm. or we already decided what we want to say once they finish saying what they've said. Mm. Active listening is processing everything that they're giving you, receiving that message, repeating that message back to them, and then making a distinction about what to do with what they said. Mm. So as someone is listening to you, if they're listening to you, are you being actively heard when you say there's not enough black people here, right? Or we need more initiatives. Is that being met with action? Mm. Psychological safety, open-mindedness, active listening. And the last one is very important, transparency. Mm. Transparency, I like to define it like this. It is the trust that I will be told the truth. Wow. So that every time your organization interacts with you or has some type of conversation around diversity, equity, and inclusion, or just in general, just the overall business operations, is the truth being told? And do I trust this organization to consistently tell the truth about what they do and how they operate and how they treat people? If any of those four things are off, you need to be making some different decisions about your work environment and the type of work environment you want to be in. Yeah. And I definitely, we're, we're going to do something special with that because I want to make sure that you all get all this information and you don't have to come back to the video and always be watching it. We're going to put this on paper somehow in a way and we're going to get this information text over to you, emailed over to you. We're going, we're going to do something because this is some real good information for, for our people. Yeah. Um, and I think that um, I'm happy that we're in a new normal. Because um, we're making some pivots. And I think that some people are going to be making some pivots. And I got to say this, you guys. Before you make any pivots, make sure that you're financially in a position to make a pivot. Make sure that you have a savings account. Make sure that you have uh, some, some, some extra funds to where before you make a pivot, you have another route you can go. You have another job you can go to. 
or you have at least a fully funded savings account. And y'all know me when I come, when it comes to savings account, the number one person and number one bank that I promote and I support is PrizePool. You can go to anthonyoneal.com for slash savings and you can check them out because some of y'all are listening to this show saying, you know what, I'm good. I love it here. There's some great initiatives here. I work with an amazing company. Yes, it's majority white, but I feel great and accepted and those four things, all of them check. I'm good. That's great. Stay right there. I mean, some of y'all listen to this thing saying, you know what? I, I, it may be time for you to make a pivot. And as you're making that pivot, just make sure before you do, you're putting some money in the savings. So that way you're pivoting and you're not, you're pivoting your jobs, but you're not pivoting your entire life. And that's important. So go to anthonyneal.com for slash savings. Um, I said, Eric, why did you get into that field? Oh, good question. Good yeah, pivot. I, I'm serious. I was like, Why? Why? I'm so serious. I started my first business right out of college. I went to Tennessee State University. TSU? Yeah. Okay. And um, I started my first business right out of college. I majored in journalism, started a PR company, had applied to a ton of jobs and internships, and nobody would hire me. Yeah, I had a ton of experience, ton of experience. And I just, I felt, you know, I only gave myself a month, like, and I know that's unrealistic. A month out of college, no job. I'm going to start my own company. I'm going to get my own self a job. I love it. So I started a PR company, uh, Urbane Imagery. That was my first business. And I was a publicist. I worked primarily in the sports and entertainment space. And um, and while running that business, I realized, like, hmm, I love this. And I want to continue to work in the PR space. But I feel like I need a side hustle. Mm. Or I knew then at 22, 23, I wanted multiple streams of income. Mm-hmm. And I kept thinking, what is it that I can do that doesn't require me to work full time, mm-hmm. but it'll pay me a full time salary? Mm. I need, I want it, you know. So, uh, and the business was doing very well. Um, but I decided, hmm, I think I want to be a professor. And that transition, you know, went through that process and got a master's degree from MTSU. Wow. Um, and several years of running that business, I uh, was asked to come teach PR, public relations, at Lipscomb University in Nashville. Okay. And that gave me a great opportunity to start my teaching career. I was still in my 20s and mm-hmm. still running my business. But right before that, though, and I want to give you all of this because I think it, your listeners and viewers will benefit from hearing this. Before I started teaching, right before I started teaching, maybe three years into the business, I filed bankruptcy. Yeah. Um, It was just a ton of stuff. I did not know how to run a business. I was making a ton of money. Right. But I had no clue how to run the business. I knew how to do the work, but I didn't know how to run the business. So I'm 24, like filing bankruptcy, right? And it wasn't credit card debt. It wasn't anything crazy, but that was the only way I could kind of get out, Mm -hmm. if you will. So I mean it was a it was a struggle, right? Mm-hmm. I'm I'm at parties, I'm at doing all the red carpet events, the Grammy Awards, the BET Awards, all this fun stuff. And then the re- it was the recession. Mm-hmm. The recession hit. Mm-hmm. All of my clients left. All of them. I didn't have a dime. Yes, every single one of them. They didn't have the money to pay. They no longer needed PR. Mm-hmm. So I went through all of that, went through the recession at twenty four. Five, twenty-six, seven, around that age, I think it was, went through the recession and went through that process a couple years after that Lipscomb call. I started teaching there. And then I had an opportunity to merge my business with a colleague. So we started a second PR firm together. Uh, full-time employees had an office in uh, Midtown, downtown Nashville. Yeah. And as I'm 
running and working on that business, I realized that there's a space that's opening up in DE&I. I started to see my colleagues in the PR industry, my white colleagues mm-hmm. and peers, come to me and say, Ariel, we really need some help on how to communicate with our millennials, our baby boomers, our, our, our millennials, they, they butt heads. Wow. We need somebody to help us come with, you know, think about a communication strategy and some strategic planning around how to do these relationships, you know, a little bit better. We're losing workplace productivity because generations can't get along. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, hey, Ariel, my boss just asked me to write a diversity statement, and it's it's BS. Yeah. And I don't believe it. Can you help me with that? <laughs> so my peers kept coming to me and asking me things. And I realized that, okay, my business needs to pivot. But I can't pivot from PR with a business partner and employees. I need to pivot away Mm. and out. Mm. And, of course, other things went on as well. But um, with, with, you know, just the the difficulties of of having a business and having a business partner. Yeah. Um, So I pivoted out of, I exited that partnership and I knew that I did not want to enter the DEI space just as a black woman. Yeah. Um, I knew that there was something else that I could consider that I that I had a heart for and a passion for, and that was my generation. Gotcha. I had so many experiences as a young entrepreneur, trying to figure it out, trying to do life and do business and all these things. And what actually launched me into the DEI space was my research around the millennial generation. Mm. So I wrote a book. Okay. Called the the original millennial lessons in leadership for the millennial generation. Yeah. I got so sick and tired of people saying that millennials couldn't lead, that we were lazy, entitled, and all these things. Right. Um, so wrote the book and did the research. Wrote the book and I started to get requests for speaking engagements mm. to help organizations figure out how to relate to the millennial generation and to help organizations. Uh, be uh, have a conduit or have someone to help their millennials be better leaders. Mm-hmm. So I would go into these organizations and do trainings for millenni- millennials based on my book's curriculum and take them through leadership development, coaching and training, yeah. and then sit with the senior level executives and work with them on how to lead an intergenerational workforce, mm. right? I was doing all of that up until covid And then COVID and George Floyd and everybody needs DEI training and racial, all the, all the things related to race and gender. And I was teaching some of that in the classroom anyway. Right. So long story short, that's how it all happened. Right. Yeah. And so then now you're pivoting from not just doing that to now um, you, you left uh, Nashville Mm -hmm. and you went to my, one of my home States, North Carolina. Mm Mm-hmm. You're a professor at an HBCU now. I am. And then you're a professor there teaching PR. I am. And then you have your own new ministry on the side for yeah. millennials. Yes. Teaching millennials how to come from a small mindset to a pretty much, you know, top mindset, being executive, have excellence. Yeah. Where did that, because it seems like you've already, you've always had a passion for our generation. Mm-hmm. What really, where did that come from? And like, why now? Because you have all this success in the corporate space. You know, you're making six figures over here in this business. You're making six figures plus as a professor. Mm -hmm. Now you're building this brand new business to help millennials really step up their game. 
Why? What, where does that pattern Yeah, so, so as I said, when I was doing the research for the book and I was writing the book and I was doing speaking engagements, I realized how much of a need we had, mm-hmm. our generation had, to just learn how to be leaders. They're really struggling inside the organizations or they're just struggling in business, like right. I said about myself. Right. Like they were really struggling in business. And so I realized, okay, there needs to be a voice for my generation. I know there's several, you and several other folks who uh, are very, like, amazing voices for our generation. And so um, I just noticed that particularly that you know there was a there was a lane for thought leadership mm-hmm. but not just because there was a lane but because people needed it mm-hmm. right mm-hmm. so as i was working on the book and as i was um going into these organizations they would ask for more wow i would finish the training and nobody would move right. like okay thank you all for coming it was great follow up with me and they'd just still be sitting there mm. you know wanting more mm-hmm. so i thought okay something needs to be launched i need to create a platform uh, for these folks to spend time with me one-on-one in individual coaching and then create programs for you don't have to be at a company. I've always been B2B, business to business, right? Yeah. That's where my work has been. Right. And then I realized right before COVID, then I need to create some opportunities for people to access me directly mm-hmm. as that coach, as that, you know, mentor, et cetera, et cetera. So um, that was important. And then, of course, COVID hit and everything, you know, kind of gets shut down. And now clients and even individuals who just have, have been have been in touch with me over the years are asking for it. Yeah. So what I developed pre-COVID, I'm just launching it now, mm-hmm. you know. And so it's an opportunity to be able to really speak to people, help them and work with them along, you know, follow them along the way, uh, hold their hand along the way, if you will, walk alongside them along the way as they develop themselves as leaders. And so with millennials adjusting to this new norm, you know, there's a lot of them are saying, man, what do I do? Yeah. How do I pivot? Yeah. Um, I'm lost. I'm confused. What, what kind of direction are you giving us to really find direction in yeah. our lives? That's a good point. I want to go. Um, I want to go spiritual for a second. Uh oh, spiritual. Yeah. <laughs> In this new norm, we have to recognize that we're not going back. Mm. We're going forward. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And one of the things that we have that we often talk about in the Christian space is surrender. Absolutely. And what that means and what that actually looks like. Yeah, yeah. And my. My recommendation or my, I don't even want to call it a recommendation. I think that's the word I want to anchor Mm. for millennials and anyone Mm -hmm. who is trying to determine where do I go next? Yeah, yeah. What do I do now? Right. Right? Right. It's really important to let go Mm -hmm. and accept that things have completely changed. Mm -hmm. Things are not the way they used to be. They'll never be the way they used to be. But the difficulty is that you don't know what's next because you didn't know that what was then was coming. coming. Yep, yep. Right? So I think it's important to let go and dream a new dream. Mm -hmm. It's completely okay to dream a new dream. Or to go back and get something that you knew you wanted to establish or accomplish or that was a dream that you let die for whatever reason Mm -hmm. and to determine if it fits into your life at this stage. But it is important to surrender and really listen and see what is God telling me to do next? What is, what's for me? Where's my purpose now? Right? Where, how do I, this is something that I I center a lot of my work into. How do I make sure that I'm not being mediocre? Mm. Right? Mm. 
How do I escape that? Mm. So it's really important to start assessing. If I'm mediocre in a space, mm. I may need to really rethink why I'm in this space. Mm. Because God has called us to excellence. Mm. And I want to be excellent. You know? <sighs> Dr. A, you got four degrees. Well, you have three. Three. And you're getting your fourth one. I, I think I'm getting a fourth one. I'm, in, I'm, in, I'm enrolled. I'm you're enrolled. At, I'm, I got my doctorate from the University of Southern California. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And uh, loved it and, okay. ne- and vowed I would never go back to school. I didn't want to get the doctorate. You didn't? No. Uh, but I'm so grateful I did. Sometimes that's what God does, right? right, right. We do things that we think we don't want to do. Right. And then when we listen and obey, we realize that it was probably one of the best decisions we ever could have made. So I did that. But then as I'm moving into this space uh, with Affirmations of Excellence, the podcast, and Mm -hmm. even the coaching around that, um, and writing the books, working on a second book uh, specifically focused on spiritual excellence for women, Mm -hmm. um, it was important for me to go back and get some additional uh, guidance and training, if you will, around what it means to really center biblical principles into the work that I do. Man, listen, and her podcast is fire. Let me Thank tell you. you. Right now. I had a blast on her podcast. And I actually got a lot of ladies to slide in the DM, too. So she got a lot oh, of ladies. Goodness. You know what I'm saying? Following her. You know, I was like, well, okay, Dr. A, send them my way. <laughs> Yo, so we're definitely going to link all of her information in today's show notes. Link to her book, um, link to her podcast, link to her website. Uh, follow her. I mean, she provides a wealth of information. Uh, but all right, we got literally two minutes. Uh, non-professional questions. Um, outside of your spiritual, no gospel music, no <laughs> books. Name one artist you like listening to that's non-spiritual. Oh, non-spiritual artist that I like listening to. Uh-huh. Right now, I'm on Alex Isley. Alex Isley. She's dope. She's very dope. <laughs> Alex Isley. Okay, 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 okay. Yeah. Um, we won't say we won't say your age. Would you marry younger? Yeah, I would marry younger. Would you marry who makes less money than you? Cause you up there, you know what I'm saying? Dang. Uh oh. Come on. I, Come on, Doctor. Hey, you I, was hitting us with some good ones no, no, today. No. I, I would. Is I there would. a but? I would. I'm gonna leave it right there. <laughs> I would. <laughs> Because I'm, I'm doing you this. You want to say a butt? <laughs> I'm doing this right now. Like, Why? So just, what do you, you mean know, you're doing that? I'm, I'm me. Like God is taking. He me, definitely right? is. I see uh, you winning. Yeah. So could you, okay? Here we go. I asked this to all my successful, wealthy, driven ladies. Could you marry a school teacher who makes forty two thousand dollars a year? Yes. However. <laughs> Yeah, of course I could. Of course I could. Of course I could. No, 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 no. Your face was like, yes, but. However, um, it's important for me that I do life with someone who has some uh, entrepreneurial pursuits. So what if he's like, yo, no, nah, I just love teaching. He would be writing a book or something <laughs> <laughs> what else? Like you gotta be on a you gotta like write a book, please. You know, come write no, a book no, no. about how to be a good school teacher. Uh, uh, writing a book on the speaker circuit, training, coaching, mentoring. Because here's the thing, and this is me. No, no, no. Because I'm not. I'm not that person. I'm not that woman. This is the thing. If anyone that I choose to do life with, he's going to his highest capacity. 
simply because he's with me. So there's no way someone can be attached to me Uh and be mediocre. My friends will tell you that. The people I've dated in the past will tell you that. Exes will tell you that. Exes will tell you Oh, yeah. You've helped exes get to another level. Absolutely. Just by your your presence. So if the way you show up in a relationship, like yeah. you, if you show all the way up, there's no way, right, that you will leave that relationship and leave that person better than not better than you found them. That's my desire. If I have to exit anything, whether it's a relationship, a job, whatever, I need to leave it better than I found it. Okay, so that's a good question. I've never heard I, I've heard that, but I've never heard it in this context, right? So you're saying. Not only did he leave better, but he also helped you leave the situation better as well. Yeah. So it's not just a woman providing, which I do believe the right woman next to me is going to make me three times better. Not that I'm not good today. Not that I'm not excellent today. I think I'm great today. But literally, I mean, God made a woman to be my helpmate. That's right. And the right helpmate is going to make me better in whatever, because everything that's inside of her is for me. So, great. But what you're saying, when you go to help him, he's also helping you, which in truth it is, and look at it spiritually, because if you was pulled from the man, Mm -hmm. then there's something from you missing as well. That's right. You know, not that you're incomplete without a man, but once you are attached to yours, then both of y'all should be better. I agree. Ha, sha, ba, ba. I agree. Come on, Dr. A. You just don't have book knowledge. You got some knowledge in you, too, of, of, of the course, other places. Of okay. Course. Okay, this is a good one. Okay, so she said, school teacher, I would, but he got to want more. That's right. He want, He has to He has to be able to... Okay. I struggle with that answer because every successful lady says yes, but, or no. Not not one has said yes. It's not a hard no for me, and it's not a hard yes either. You know, it. I I think something like that it, again. It's really connected to the fact that what do you want, right? And so, for instance, I'm I'm probably not not just because of my career, just because I'm Ariel, not because I'm doctor, right, right, but because I'm Ariel. Uh-huh. I'm 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 an achiever. Right. Mm-hmm. I, I, I like setting goals. Mm-hmm. I like going after things. I like making a difference. Mm-hmm. So I would need to be with someone who knows how to fill my cup so that mm-hmm. I can go do that. And it doesn't mean that if he's a teacher making forty thousand dollars a year that he can't do that. But it also but it but it does mean that there's got to be something in him. Mm-hmm. Right. Mm-hmm. That while I'm wanting more, he's wanting it, too, even if he just wants it from me and us, because whatever I bring is ours. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like we it, it's not you and I'm over here and you're over there. No, whatever I bring belongs to us and whatever you bring belongs to us. So you bring your 40 mm-hmm. and we good. We're we going to land right on the 60 minute mark. <laughs> so, so let me let me let me cause we gonna land right here on the 60 minutes. We got six minutes. I have my okay. back all the way up. OK. Um, <laughs> What is one of the hardest things as a successful woman? Mm-hmm. And it's like you look tremendously younger than what you, you are. What is one of the <laughs> hardest things looking, being beautiful, being successful, and you're not a, I don't want to say you're an alpha woman, but then you're not a completely soft, come take care of me woman. Like you, you, you you're handling your business. 
What's what's difficult about dating for you? Mm, what's difficult about dating? So dating, I was about to let me be honest. What's difficult about dating is the fact that I'm dating one. <laughs> <laughs> well, you don't want to be when you, you when you're dating. You don't want to be dating. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah so that. How so are you ready for marriage? Oh yeah. Oh absolutely. Mm. Now to answer that question, what's the most difficult part is, and it's not super difficult. But it's a it's something that bothers me, I guess. Okay, okay. Is that the modern black man Uh-oh. has adopted Uh-oh. the I wouldn't what? say he's adopted. The modern black man has adopted what? Been uh conditioned. That's a better word. Oh, whoa. It's a professor in me. Uh-oh. Uh has been conditioned to really believe and lean into and service the narrative of strong black woman, strong black independent woman. Okay, keep going. I don't know where you're going with this. And of all the things that we've talked about here, of Mm -hmm. all of what you've seen me say and present, doesn't necessarily mean I identify as strong and independent. Oh, now you're talking. Yeah. So you don't identify as I a do strong not. independent woman. I do not. I could see, I could see strong woman. I don't see the independent woman. Ever since I've met you, I've never sensed you're an independent woman. I've sensed you're a strong woman doing what she needs to do now because you enjoy doing what you're doing and you're not waiting for a man to come pay all your bills. And and that that does not and how many women do you know are actually doing that? What, waiting? Yeah. I don't think that they're waiting, but I do believe that there are ladies saying, shoot, as soon as I get a man, I'm no longer doing nothing that I'm doing right now. Yeah, I, I don't know if I would agree with that for myself. Gotcha. But there, there are some things that I'm going to say no to because I desire children and things of that nature. Okay. And I also desire to, you know, live outside the U.S. at some point and That's have a home dope. in the U.S. and have a home outside abroad. So there, there, there's, a, there's a lifestyle that I desire. That you right? desire. So, so that's why you can't date a $42,000 teacher. You can't date a teacher. Let's be real. Because because of the lifestyle that you desire, unless, that will not allow that to happen unless he became an entrepreneur, though. Un- unless he was able to finesse his job and his passion as a teacher, he can teach online. Hmm. Nah, maybe you maybe you teach online and you make more than $40,000. You have to show up Monday through Friday and sometimes on the weekends. Mm-hmm. It's, it's, you know, go. Mm-hmm. So anyway... Strong, independent is something I have never really vibed with. Even when I was, you know, in college, I would see, you know, the women in the power suits and I would go to New York for my internship or different things. And I thought, oh, this is great. But I never desired that. Mm. Like, I just I wanted to be able to be successful and do my work and make my money, have multiple streams of income and and just thrive. Like, Mm. I, I never I never felt like I uh, f- would fold into or fit the model of this strong, independent. Mm-hmm. I believe in interdependence. Ooh. Right. I believe in com- ah. in God. God puts us in community. He doesn't make us to be independent. Come on. Right. Like Come the only on. true independence that we have is when we're born and when we die. Mm. But He puts us in community. He wants us to be independent to one another and interdependent to one another. Right. And so that's something that I value more than more than just my independence. As a woman, or my self-sufficiency as a woman. So, all right, cool. I'm going to ask you three questions that if you heard this from a man, how would you respond? You're okay. going to answer them very straightforward and direct. Okay. It's going to be so good. Okay. If a man says he doesn't care about your 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 um, your degrees, how do you feel? Great. <laughs> if a man says he doesn't care about your income. Even better. 
if a man comes to you and he says, gives you two options. No, no, no. Here we go. You have two men. One man comes to you and says, hey, listen, I'm very intentional. I'm dating with the intent of being married. Mm -hmm. And this other guy comes to you and says, hey, Ariel, not doctor, Ariel, Mm -hmm. I'm coming to you. And you know what? Oh, let's make it even better. They both make good money. Both you're you're attracted to both of them. Okay, so it's gonna make it real hard for you. Real, real hard. It may both not of be. Them. It may not be that hard. Okay, Go ahead. Cool, great. So <laughs> both good looking, got money, got got all the type of stuff that you desire in a okay. man. Okay. But they start off the pursuit with one guy says, "Hey, I'm very intentional. I'm ready for marriage, and I'm dating with the intent of marriage. Here are my intents with you." The other guy says, you know, we just met. I just want to be friends and get to know each other and see where it goes. Which man is Ariel taking seriously? Oh, that's easy. The first one. The first one saying what? The first one that you, the one with intentions. For real? Yeah. But why not go with the guy who's saying, yo, we just met. So we're just chilling. We're just getting to know each other. We're going to flow. Yeah. I don't mind that Mm -hmm. because I'm single until I'm married. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So if... The first one who says, I have intentions, I'm, I want to be married, et cetera, et cetera. That's great. But until I have a ring on my finger and my last name is changed, I'm single. Well, ladies and gentlemen, that's Dr. Ariel, <laughs> Professor Ariel Ellis, right here at the table. We're ending right here on the dot, you guys. Don't forget to check out my uh, show sponsors today from uh, Bethel, uh, not Bethel, Church Hill and my friends over at Prize Pool. And we're going to drop all of her information in today's show notes. We'll see you on the next show. Peace out.